welcome to Textual Healing. This is Mallory Smart. Welcome to another episode. Today, I'm joined by my favorite Chicago writer slash artist, Dmitry Samarov, to discuss his latest book, Paint by Numbers. But for one hot sec, I'd like to back up and tell you a little bit more about Textual Healing. It's a weekly podcast that interviews writers about music, books, and the random things that drive them. Support the show and the writers on it by following us on Twitter at PodHealing, rating us on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing on Spotify. Now, back to more entertaining things. I'll be speaking with Dimitri not just about his book, but his writer origin story, music that he thinks vibe with the tone of this book, the Chicago art scene, and many other fun things. I've had Dimitri on this show before, and he's also my co-host on another podcast, so it becomes a bit of a roller coaster of an episode. But I promise it's worth it. Stick with us. Here's Dimitri. This is not a movie recommendation podcast. This is like a book and music podcast, right? Am I getting that correct? <laughs> Yes, I believe that that is accurate oh, um, person that I've never spoken to before. What's your name again? Dimitri Samarov. <laughs> hey, Dimitri. Nice to meet you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, I, 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 I imagine that you look like you're 30 years old, but I, I can't yeah, tell. Yeah, we, we could replay our, our home meeting, whatever, three years ago. <laughs> Like, like, are you Russian? Is that, is that Samarov? Is that right? <laughs> I was about to make a, a bad no. joke, but I'm not going to do it. Oh, come on. Give me a bad joke, Dimitri. No, I'm actually Ukrainian. That's what they're all saying now. Every, every, every oh, really? Russian is pretending to be Ukrainian. And I'm not, you know, I'm a Jew from the Soviet Union. They hated me then. They hated my family. They hated my, you know, my people. So no allegiance to that fucking country. And, you know, I hope it. There's a hole in the earth and that swallows it. It can't come can't, can't come soon enough. But no, it is amazing how suddenly people are being very, very proud of their very specific ethnic roots from some former, you know, uh, republic or uh, uh, colony of of Russia. You know, <laughs> they'll, they'll say anything but saying they're Russian. I, there's very few like sort of like straight up Russian things in downtown Chicago, but there's this one restaurant, Russian Tea Time, which is like directly across from, from the museum, from the Art Institute. And when the war started, the the Ukraine war started, uh, I guess they got some shit on on like Facebook or somewhere, and they had to go up there and say, "Look, we're fucking Ukrainian Jews. Shut up," you know. And we just cook. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, the same way that, like, like there are many, say, Korean restaurants run by Chinese people or Japanese restaurants run by Korean people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not necessarily, like, one-to-one. And this whole thing of, like, we're going to ban vodka. It's like, yeah, good luck. That's, that's really going to stop this war, you know? <laughs> These oh, kind of yeah. empty gestures where you can demonstrate to other people that you're you're correct. Uh, I'm I'm not not very into. <laughs> See, that's why I just stay out of the narrative as much as possible because obviously I don't have any allegiance to yeah. either of those. 
but I think I know more Ukrainians than I do Russians. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Half of them used to be Russians. Now they're Ukrainians. <laughs> that is true. That is probably true. Oh, and then I mean, they actually had to be Russians because Russia ran Ukraine, you know, for a very long time. And they, they think, well, the thing is, yeah, Russia thinks that Ukraine is part of Russia. It's not its own country. But yeah. that, yeah, that, that fucking country that in, invaded Ukraine is where I'm from. No, no way around that. Yeah, and I'm 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 not pretending I'm from anywhere else, but also have zero pride and zero interest in coming back. The one tiny good thing about the the war in Ukraine is now pe- when people find out where I'm from, they're not surprised why my family left and I've never been back. Like See, this, this is what that country is. For me, it wasn't that <coughs> as much as like I totally understood that it's because you're Jewish. And yeah. I was just like, yeah, I'd get the fuck out, too. You know, the funny thing is when the Soviet Union fell in, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, it was one of the few times in human history when there was people running around pretending to be Jews. R- really? Yeah. Oh, because, was it be- that because you could actually uh, because you could get leave. passports? Yes, you could get passports. You could go in with, you'd, ha- you'd do it. Just like my family did, you're sponsored by Israel, and then you declare where you're going. You go to, to a third country, like we went to Austria and then Italy, and and you you sit in this kind of limbo before you decide which country you're going to go to. But you know you're you become a refugee, and and it was always done uh, with like a Israel as an intermediary. And then no. you had to get sponsorship, and it was this whole fucking thing. But uh, yeah, in the late '80s, early '90s, there was ethnic Russians, you know, who are Orthodox Christian and/or well, whatever, but they're ethnically not Jewish, pretend <laughs> running around pretending to be Jews, which hasn't happened in human history very much. <laughs> That's not a thing you want to be if you want if you want to succeed. You moved out of Russia. You said seven before, right? Yeah, I was seven. It was in 1978. So I know you said you were pretty young when you were learning. Dude, I can't remember. Were you learning the flute or violin? <coughs> Both. Uh, good, good memory. Uh, I started, so when I was like five, uh, I started on uh, a piccolo flute. You know, it's the little tiny little baby flute. Piccolo, mm-hmm. piccolo means small. Uh, but uh, then uh, in a, a few months later, my uh, my teacher, my flute teacher, left. I was going to a music school in Moscow, uh, and uh, they decided that since I was so talented and that they claimed I had perfect pitch, uh, like the the flute was just beneath me, and they switched me to violin, an instrument of torture. <laughs> and I was torn. It's so funny because they're nothing alike. No. No, but I mean, there's a there's a much wider range of sounds you can make on a violin than on a flute. You know, it's a more complicated instrument. So yeah, so when I was six, uh, I was switched to violin and uh, was forced to play it for eight miserable years. Wow. <laughs> so like you started in Russia and then you just carried that on to when you came here. Yes. Yes. I Why? Was... Were Were your parents like you're gonna learn this shit? 
Yes, it was. It was my mother's. Uh, my mother insisted that I could not quit until I. What, what was her thing? She she said I had to attain some level of mastery, or like I had to be good at it, and then I could leave. But I I hated it pretty much the whole time, and it was. I mean, yeah, my theory being that it was her unfulfilled ambitions, musical ambitions, because she didn't have a mother that insisted that she practiced. My mom wanted to play piano when she was little, and I guess her mother didn't care enough to make her. You know, kids won't do it on their own usually. They need a little bit of, let's say, encouragement. Yeah, or or something, you know. So my mom was, like, damned if, like, my kid's not going to miss out this opportunity. So she fucking made me. And, uh, I mean, I, I broke two bows from temper tantrums. Violin bows, which are pretty fragile, actually, but uh, that's a very expensive piece of equipment. And I remember my mom trying to, like, glue and tape one together, which doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a tension in the wood that has to be maintained for those things to work. And once they're broken, you can't really... You have to start over. <laughs> you have to get a new bow. I remember trying to learn acoustic guitar. Um, my friend had an extra one, but the neck snapped, and we tried super yeah, gluing it. Yeah, same thing. And yeah, it can't. It won't work. Yeah, it it'll never terrible. be right. No. Uh, yep. Yeah, similar kind of thing. But it felt really cool to have it around. I felt like it gave me some kind of cred. I think it's really impressive. I, I think it's because I always felt like an artist needed to know like more than one medium. And you know, where did like you get three. that idea? Where did you get I, that idea? I don't know. Probably just from watching a lot of documentaries, or I don't know, like from like artists and everything that I love. Where it's like, Jesus, you guys could just do everything, and you kind of could. I mean, as I said, you paint, you draw, you. And by the way, I find it crazy that you're able to like sketch. You've told me on the train, like in areas where sure. I usually would just take a picture and do photography, like. Do you do it for, like, memory? No, no. Like, you're just no, I don't watching do somebody? I, yes. No, I don't do anything for memory. I don't have a memory. <laughs> so you're just like Jack from Titanic, just, like, going at it really quickly? Uh, I don't know that reference because I've never seen that movie. Yeah, I, I recall. You're not a Cameron fan. That's all right. No. Uh, no, he, he lost me with the abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> that movie that I'm I think it's still running. I think it's still going that movie. But and, uh, <laughs> you know like I want to say like someone like David Lynch, he was someone like he paints, he directs, he writes, he does music, all that shit. Sure. And I guess I wanted to be someone like that who could do more than one and clearly I could only write. But obviously or, music very much plays an influence in it. Like I don't think I could write without music playing. Yeah, me neither. I I never I never write write or or uh, make art in silence, ever, practically. Yeah, I don't I don't especially enjoy silence, <laughs> and I mean there I don't know unless you're some sort of like, uber like, Buddhist meditator or something. Where are you gonna actually find silence? You know, I mean, on on a fucking mountaintop. You know, I live in a city, and I like there's always sounds. And uh, if it's not music or like a podcast or something, I'm, I'm going to listen to what's going on on the street, you know? 
I mean, I think I've told you before that, like, because I come from a very bustling family and obviously lived in the city and everything, that my mind needs something to, like, compete with to work. Oh. Oh, that, that's, that helps you actually concentrate? Yeah. To, like, overcome something else that's a distraction? Exactly. So, like... Like, do you write with, like, a TV on? I'll write with the TV on and music going. Oh, wow. And it's like, whatever. This is actually helping me See, that I can't, I can't. No, the visual. See, yeah, we, we've talked about this before, but, like, the visual stuff, I can't. Like, I can't have a TV on not, and not be watching it. But I also didn't. This is a cultural thing. I didn't grow up with in a house where the TV was on. Uh, the TV watching was strictly kind of rationed and... We couldn't have, like, we never ate in front of the TV or any of that. We ate at the table. See, that's pretty you know? impressive. I mean, because we all had such different schedules in my family, yeah. it just really, we How never, it, like, sat down at the table yeah. really that often. I mean, when I was little, we did, but, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, we, I don't know if we were always on the same schedule, but uh, the dinner thing was kind of sacrosanct. You know, it was, you had to have di- the family dinner. At least my mom was insistent about that. Uh, and, like, it was in just complete silence. Did you guys, like, talk with each other? Was it Kennedy style? Were, like, you'd be quizzing <laughs> each other? Like, h- how did that work? I'm so curious how other people handled family dinner time because we ignored each other a uh, lot. Yeah, uh, you know, I actually do not remember. I mean, there was a lot of tension in the house for various reasons. Uh, we didn't necessarily like each other that much, you know? Oh, I know that feeling, too. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of tension between my parents, especially the first years we were in this country, because they were, you know, they were adjusting to a completely different culture that they knew nothing about. They barely had any grasp of the language, you know. It was and they were. They, I'm sure they felt isolated, and they were. You know, they fought a lot mm-hmm. for various reasons. Uh, Did they not move to an area where there were a lot of Russians? There weren't a lot of Russians in the in the 70s in the Boston area. There just weren't. There was not a community, which is one reason that you know I I picked up English so quickly because it was. I had to, to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I was in ESL class for a year or two, but uh, at at that age, uh, I mean, you pick up languages very quickly at seven or eight, you know? Yeah, I mean, Belen said that he learned English from watching Mr. Rogers, so. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there was a, they had a few friends, a few fellow immigrant, emigre kind of friends, but it wasn't many. And I had, I had no Russian-speaking friends. I mean, uh, I knew a couple of kids, but we—I never really got along with them, not well enough to spend, you know, my own time with them. See, that's so fascinating because almost every other immigrant I know moved to their specific areas because they knew a lot of people in those right. areas. We moved to Boston because uh, my. F- Excuse me. Uh, my father's older brother, Victor, was in the suburbs, and he sponsored us. And you had to have a sponsor at that time mm-hmm. to be allowed into America, like a family member. And people that didn't have family members, they would be adopted by like, like a synagogue or something, you know. Mm. And they would sponsor them. Uh, but 
Yeah, we had my my uncle. That's that's why we ended up in Boston. Uh, I think yeah. At that point, there was already like a you know Russian speaking community in uh, New York, but not much of one in Boston yet. But by the late '80s, there was a flood, and there was a huge one. Uh, and there's all these like Russian grocery stores and Russian restaurants all around Boston now. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it's true. Like once, once some like an outpost is established, you know, the, the, then they're just like they all come. It's like flies on shit, you know. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, like as you just kind of said, like the sponsoring and everything. Like you go to like where yeah. you know other. Russians or whatever ethnicity you are, that's the literally only reason why Belent is here. Like, they knew other people and they sponsored right. them here. To the point where uh, I'm sure that people coming, even like my age or older, coming in the late 80s, early 90s, could probably survive in the U.S. without, like, say, ever learning English. You know, just because they would have a, they would have their own kind of microcosm like an economic and social microcosm in which they could live. The way that, say, like, there are Mexican communities in Chicago where you don't have to speak English mm-hmm. it, because it's got its own, it sustains itself. But that wasn't, that wasn't possible when, when my family moved to, to Boston. And that's, that's not a value judgment or anything. It's just an observation, you know? I think I, it sucks to be the adults having to learn the language. Oh, yeah, it's fucking horrible. I mean, they were 30 when they moved, you know, and so they'd, you know, they were established as human beings, and then their whole context was ripped, well, by by choice. They chose to destroy everything they knew and start over. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was I was a child, so I have trace memories, but I wasn't a, a fully full human being yet, you know, when that happened. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's impacted my whole life still, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how they feel about it exactly, but. You know, when you say that, it really makes me think, other than your podcast where occasionally you uh, recite Russian poems, which I think is pretty badass, because, you know, you have no <laughs> oh, accent. Have you, have you listened? Yeah. I just have you love, listened to some of that? Yeah, I like <laughs> suddenly hearing your accent come through and be like, Bam, Dimitri is the accent. But uh, what in Russian you mean? Yeah, like you, you can go hardcore in it. You definitely have the Russian ass accent. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I speak p- pretty clean Russian. Uh, I mean, some Russian, you know, native speakers have said they can detect an American thing in it, but it's it's pretty clean. Uh, it's it's kind of surprising that like having left at seven enough of it was retained but then i've really worked at it the last few years like especially like since uh pandemic lockdown that's been one of my projects to sort of restore or improve not really even restore it's not a thing i had because i mean when i was little i was trying to get away from it i was trying to become an american you know (laughs) so i wasn't reading russian books or anything but i am now and that's like the stuff I read on the podcast sometimes is just from my reading, you know? See, I really and like listening to those. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I'm going to actually do one of those in, in public uh, next week, uh, in a couple of weeks. Ooh, tell me next when. Next week. Uh, so I, I have this thing. Well, this, this podcast won't air by then, but. Uh, well, I at, don't know. Uh, yeah, that's okay. They can, they they can feel envious. You should leave this part in, and and so they find out what they missed. Mm-hmm. So on uh, 
on the t on 420 <laughs> on Thursday, uh, April That's 20th. Not an infamous day at all. No, but uh, this performance will have nothing to do with marijuana, which is a drug I don't care about. Or Columbine uh, or Hitler's birthday. Oh, is it Hitler's birthday? Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. See, I didn't go to history school like some people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now it makes a lot more sense why I don't like that drug. No, uh, <laughs> no uh, so these, this jazz musician named Keith Jackson invited me to be, be part of a performance at uh, Comfort Station. Do you know what Comfort Station is? No, I don't. It's in... It's it's in the middle of Logan Square, and it used to it's the, this little house that used to be like a basically a fancy public bathroom for the park. Oh, I think I do know what you're talking about. I'm yeah, I know you've seen it. Yeah, it's right on the square, yeah. uh, just off the square. So now it's an art space, and they do like performances and art shows in there. I remember because so, one poet was asking if I wanted to do something there. Okay. So, on on Thursday the twentieth. I'm going to read some stuff, and there's going to be two saxophone players and a trombone player, and maybe they're going to make, do some electronics and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read a selection of things, one of which will be a Russian poem. What time will it be? Uh, seven o'clock. Hell yes. I'll see if I can You should come. I even, yeah, I got to make, I made these handmade uh, stencil posters. I made 20 different ones, and we're putting them up around town. I would ask if you're a big jazz guy, but I definitely obviously heard some jazz in your playlist that you sent me. Right, and you recreated the, the, the playlist on Spotify because mine was an Apple one? Uh, yeah. Or tried? Um, <laughs> some of them weren't actually on Spotify, and I had to Ooh. ask because um, I was so oh, fascinated by one. Where did you find Zanny P.? <laughs> that's the that's the only one that I'm actually not like I wasn't before familiar with. I just did a search on, in Apple Music. Uh, I just typed in Bob Ross, and there was like there's like seven or eight songs called Bob Ross, and most of them weirdly are hip hop. I guess the the hip hop community has embraced Bob Ross. Maybe speaking of stoners, maybe because he's high all the time. I don't know. I love that man's uh, story. I like that he used to be like a former army general yeah, or yeah. something. I forget what rank he attained, but I mean, he was a, he was a military guy. Yeah. yeah. He came back and he needed to do something and he fell into this thing. Started painting happy trees and all that. And, and then he had to maintain that, that fro, even though he didn't like it because that was his, became his brand. He got sick of the hair, but... He couldn't get rid of it because people would get freaked out if he didn't have the big, big fro. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it would be just like Mr. Rogers if he suddenly changed the color of his cardigan. Yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, no, so I don't know. And that is some kind of like, I think he's some kind of joke white boy rapper, that Zanny P. I'd never heard of him. It's just his was the funniest Bob Ross song that I found. <laughs> I mean, I was looking him up, and I was like, no Wikipedia, nothing. And then I, went, I found him on Twitter. He hasn't, like, tweeted since uh, 2019. And I was just like, I don't think he's active anymore, Dimitri. Maybe he's dead. Well, you know, I... I like how uh, that's a conclusion you jumped to. Damn, you are dark. 
I'm from Russia. What do you? We're 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 into the fatalism. <laughs> yeah, it was baked in. Um, <laughs> haven't you read any Russian novels? <laughs> that is true. That is so fucking it's, true. It's it's where that's that's where I that's what I'm from. <laughs> I just like that, the mood scales and everything. And Russian, the darkest shit you'll ever read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And any anybody that meets me sooner or later, then we'll get to talking, and shit just gets dark. And it, I don't even mean it to. It's just the way it is. That's that's how it goes. See, I, I, I can't these... tell if you're dark or if I'm just dark with you, or. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's one of the reasons we get along. Yay. <laughs> As we discuss Bob Ross, the least dark person ever. So, yeah. So yeah. It's, Unless he so has he, demons that I didn't know about. I don't know. Yeah, I think I. I mean, I never really. I didn't watch Bob Ross in real time. Uh, he's always he was a, he was a thing that I was sort of aware of as you know a kid that liked to draw. You know. I would say is that but, the uh, only reason why you put it on the playlist? No, uh, the reason I put it on the playlist is that he's sort of he's a there. He's referred to in my book, in the book that we haven't actually named, name checked yet, but <laughs> that that we're here supposedly to talk about. <laughs> hey, if you look at the last episode, it was one of those we did not really speak about the book often. <laughs> but right, you know so what? Yeah, it, you should tell us the name and what your book is about. In the, in this intro, you can also say yes. Seven hours into this conversation, we actually mention. The book, the book is called Paint by Numbers, and it was put out. It, it was uh, published in last September uh, by Pictures and Blather, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I wrote it, designed it, uh, fa- found the printer in Michigan, and uh, I keep continuing trying to sell copies of it, which is you know why I asked my good friend Valerie to. Uh, spend some of her valuable time on maybe getting the word out about it a little bit. <laughs> and it's a book about some things that happened to me uh, in in the art world uh, it, with some names changed for legal reasons and because I don't want to be sued and because I'm dealing with people with gigantic egos and very thin skins, you know, <laughs> who take offense and look for things to be offended by. So that that's just the writing world. It's the art world even more so. Oh, really? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't met those sensitive sons of bitches. Very sensitive and uh, very vain. Uh, and oftentimes, yeah, people that actually do nothing and claim they do so much. <laughs> that sounds so I fun. You're going to have to introduce me to some of these really sensitive people. Well, you know, you can come to Chicago this week and and dive into the deep end of it because the uh, Art Expo Chicago is, starts at the end of this week, and that's just it's full on. You can go to Navy Pier and see a bunch of overdressed people like desperately trying to sell shit to each other. See, that's so, just what AWP always makes me think too. That's why I never go. Well, yeah, it's AWP, but with a lot, lot more money and a lot less uh, actual substance. I mean, some, yeah, at least some, um, I think a, a much greater percentage of the things that people are trying to sell at AWP at least took some time. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the shit that's on, you know, on display at the expo was like, 
did not take long or was done by somebody else oftentimes, you know, by, by uh, craftsmen and or factory workers of one kind or another, you know. So <laughs> do you really think you're a really dumb painter you're, or are you just being down on yourself? Are, are you reading from 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 the pages of this book? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the dumb painter thing is, you know, it, it's a line I've been using for a very long time. But uh, it, you know, it's it, it's meant partially, you know, as a in jest, but uh, not not completely. Uh, the dumb painter thing actually has a lot to do with, uh, you know, when I came up. In, when I went to art school in the, at the beginning of the 90s, uh, you know, the art that was sort of being promoted and valued was, there was a lot of conceptual art. There was a lot of stuff with, uh, like performance art was really in. And doing something like paintings just was taken as like regressive and old, old fashioned. Mm-hmm. And kind of like, it's something you do like when you're in school to learn, you know? The comment, like, people like me would get at, at the School of the Art Institute where I went to undergrad was like, well, yeah, you like, you're really good at painting, with, but, like, when are you going to start making art, you know, kind <laughs> of thing. So that's that's partially where the dumb painter comes from, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm <clears throat> sort of aligned with a tradition that goes back. I mean, I would I would trace it back to the caves, you know, where... People would render image, you know, like animals or people, you know. They would they would tell like the stories of their lives through images, like the 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 world that they saw with their eyes. And that's that's what I do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like me sitting around and uh, you know, whatever, picking out my belly button lint and coming up with great ideas. You know, the and, imagery there. And, Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, that that's what a, a lot of conceptual art, you know. I mean, the, the the thing with the conceptual art is that oftentimes these are like failed philosophers or failed like something else, mm-hmm. and they declare themselves artists, but they don't actually make much that you want to look at. Mm-hmm. So I come from a much, you know, a more old-fashioned idea of where visual art has to be visual. Like you have to be able to take it in with your eyes primarily, not not with your mind. Like there's not a thing to read in there, you know, and there's not an explanation uh, that you will understand in words to really, to, to take in that work. It, it works on a different level. And that's so what that's I love the, about that's, this That's the book. dumb painter... <laughs> is that you do you you really do a very good uh mixture of the painting and obviously telling the stories and everything. I mean, that's why I think it's interesting because you were saying like tell a story solely through like drawings and everything and you kind of mix the two together in this book pretty heavily. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's got it's got a bunch of art in it and all my books do, but cuz that's where, that's what I come from. Uh I didn't I backed into writing much later, later in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. Why did you? Were you always going to? Oh, oh, because, because 
I graduated from art school and I moved back to Boston uh, stupidly and uh, my first job out of art school. I know. I was a dumb painter and moved back to Boston, a city I hate, and uh, became a cab driver uh, a year after I learned how to drive. Uh, And that job sort of made me have to start writing down things to tell the stories of other people and the things I saw in that job. And I couldn't just paint paintings of it because I couldn't pull over and make people pose, you know? Uh, And because I don't make artwork from memory or imagination, uh, I had to document this stuff some other way, which was writing. That's pretty interesting. But I didn't even write anything formally about being a cab driver until like a few years after I I quit originally. So I drove a cab in Boston from uh, like 93 to 97. And then I I moved back to Chicago in 97. And a couple of years later, I made a zine called Hack. And that was my first attempt at any kind of writing aside from like a, a school, like a college homework assignment. I've never done a, a piece of creative writing in my life until then. Mm-hmm. And that zine was, it was mostly pictures. It was mostly artwork that I made. I, I did force myself to make, uh, you know, drawings from memory of scenes from my cab, my cab uh, driving career in Boston. And then I got a, a Smith Corona manual typewriter and typed out a couple of sentences and cut and pasted them in around the, the drawings and made this zine called Hack. Uh, and it's called Hack because it's short for Hackney Carriage, mm. which is the old school term for a taxi. And uh, in Boston, the license to be a cab driver is called a Hackney Carriage license. That's fascinating. That, is it hard to get a license there? I know in New York... It's really hard to get uh Well, you, you have to take classes and you have to pass a test. Yeah. And then you have to get hired by, a, you know, a company has to accept you. But, I mean, this is all historical shit since the cab industry is dead. I mean, there's certain people on this show don't even know how to hail a taxi. So, you know. Hey, I've gotten lessons from certain people on this show. <laughs> See, we can learn new tricks. <laughs> exactly. I'm not too It's never old. too late. It's never too late. And, you know, <laughs> I've read Hack, so I, I got some idea of what, like, cab life is like. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know I was, I was going to be writing a, a, a historical document about a thing that was, like, go, goes out the, the same way that kerosene lamps are quaint and old-fashioned, you know? <laughs> Oh, and so is awesome. cab driving at this point. <laughs> I actually had, <laughs> this is fun, I had my friends over the other day, and they saw your painting, and they were like, why do you have a cab on there? And I was like, oh, my friend used to be a taxi driver, and he gave it to me for my birthday. And they're like, how the fuck old is your friend? And then they were horrified to find out. Honestly, oh, they're, they, they're overestimating they, how old you were. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah, because that's what I'm saying. Like, I have literally hailed a cab once in my entire life. And other than that... That's hilarious, yeah. Well, so 
the year that I quit driving a cab in Chicago, which was 2012, the summer of 2012, it's, it'll be 21 years in a couple of months. I mean, 11 years since I quit. Uh, Will there be a celebration? That, yeah, right. Yeah, we're, we're, we'll light a candle at at a former garage. The last garage I rented from is now like a, a lift, like driver center. Ooh. It's on Elston. It's so sad. I, I ride by it on my bike all the time because it's it's on the route that I take to go to the music box theater from mm-hmm. my house. So I pass it all the time, but it's now like this just hollow. There's nothing in there, you know, because like, what do you do for a ride share? It's like some kind of ride lift activity area or something. I don't know what the fuck even goes on in there, but that was a garage full of cars and angry drivers in my day. But in 2012 was the year that uh, Uber came to Chicago. And I I actually, I was recruited by Uber because I already had a book out. So I was Mm -hmm. like a famous cabbie. Uh, And that's all they used at first was cab drivers and limo drivers at the beginning of Uber, you know? I mean, that is a smart idea, yeah. I wish I knew more about Uber in, like, 2012. You know, that's another thing, um, because I was about 22 at that age. I was able to order a cab at that age. Sure. So I was able to do that. So I hailed a cab once, and I ordered a cab once. Yeah, see, these are skills that you've lost. They've atrophied because you haven't been using them. <laughs> but I hate it because I feel like, in hindsight, I should have known how to do that. No, but like it's like anything. If you don't use it, it just does, it goes away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've noticed that with uh, uh, with getting around the city. Uh, I don't I don't almost ever drive anymore. But I used to know every street. Like and I'd, I would, I'd be able to tell you like cab fares within like a dollar to like any, from anywhere to anywhere, just automatically. There's all this knowledge that gets stored in your head when you do a job. And I would also be able to track like which buildings were being torn down, like what, where there's a construction zones, all this stuff from driving around the city all day. And that's all gone now, a uh, decade later, you know. When you talk about, uh, like, skills that are totally atrophied, are you capable of playing any of the instruments anymore? No. So n- not even a note. You, you, like, if I throw you a violin and I'm like, the Titanic is going down, you, you can't be that guy playing Look, music. I mean, I, I hated the violin so much that I've, I've only ever even, even physically picked up a violin maybe once or twice since I was 14. So the violin to such you a is, is what a cab is to me. <laughs> no, because a cab didn't fucking torment you for eight years. <laughs> it was not an instrument of torture <laughs> like a violin was to me. I guess that is true. It was true. traumatic. You weren't traumatized by a taxi. <laughs> you know, I not was that you've shared with me anyway. <laughs> by the fact that they, they try to talk to you. Why do they try and talk to you while you're on the, in the car? Like, I, I'm not in here to talk. I just want to get from point A to point B. Wait, wait, you, you've never had a, a chatty Uber driver? There's tons of them. Oh, I always have my headphones in. Oh, well, you could have done that. You could have done that. You could have done all this stuff. And you would have if they were the the normal thing you know if they were the mainstream thing as they're they're not anymore but and look yeah we've talked about this before like 
Ubers are taxis. They are taxis. They They're are. just the taxi that you get with an app. That's all. And with amateur the, drivers who are kind of scary at times. Amateur drivers that are getting completely ripped off, they're working basically for free. I have earned even Uber less money than cabbies. That actually uh, got in a car accident. That was like the worst time ever. <laughs> sure. Well, that's, yeah. And uh, one of the huge problems with uh, rideshare is that they're not uh, insured properly, those cars. Uh, it's a huge problem. And once once the cab industry is actually dead, the cities will have to step in and regulate them, you know, properly. Do I mean, you that's think why the cab, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nearly dead. Uh, it, it's, it's in its death throes. That my friends and I have been discussing a lot lately because obviously... Most of us don't really, we're not into Airbnb as much anymore. We're like, just fuck it, let's just get a hotel. I don't know. Yeah. Uber, I, I don't know. We're kind of sketch about some of that shit now, too. No, they're, they're morphing. I mean, look, down the alley from my house, uh, there's a guy that has a, he has, he has an Uber or a Lyft or whatever. And it's just, it's like a, I think it's a Prius maybe. But he's got one of those top lights, like it's like one of those digital displays. Yeah, that's how you know it's yours. Attached to, well, like the you know that, that has ads and stuff. Oh, and, and that's have you haven't seen those? No. There's a bunch of them now. Uh, they put it to the top of the roof, and it's just an ad, and that's a it's a top light, just the way that cabs used to have, but it's just a digital ad. So they're like morphing into taxis slowly, you know. Well, hopefully, uh, they get regulated in a better way. E yeah, they need to be regulated. Uh, and I mean, the 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 tag. If you read Hack, I mean, you'll see that the taxi industry is this weird. It's a really fascinating uh, hybrid of public and private business mm -hmm. because uh, local governments are way way up. Up, up the ass of these companies, you know, that ran the cab companies, mm -hmm. but ultimately they're private business, you know what I mean? That's heavily, but that's heavily regulated by government. Mm -hmm. So it, it's an interesting thing. And it's, a, it's always, always an open question whether a taxi is like a, a public, it's public transportation or private. It's somewhere, it rides the line right between somewhere, you know? Definitely. Were you one so, of the cab drivers that would, like, just throw on whatever music you wanted? Or would you let, like, the person pick? Like, I always wonder, because that's what Ubers do now in Lyft. They're like, do you want me to change the station? Or, like, they have the uh, iPad uh, in the back. Uh, I Well, I, I actually, well, because of the, the uh, time span that I drove through, uh, at first, I mean, I, until the last few years, really, it was much less choice. I couldn't plug in. There was not yet technology to add your own music mm -hmm. to the car. Well, because these are cars that I rented. They were standard cars that the cab company rented me. They were uh, Crown Vicks for a long time, and then towards the end, they switched to uh, one of those boxy cars. It's Toyota. Uh, I like those cars a lot. Uh, Mallory fuck. doesn't know anything about cars. So you're asking the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. It was this boxy little car that uh, Toyota made. And it was great for a cab. It was much more fuel efficient. 
in that car, that's what I drove the last couple of years, like like 2010 into 2012. And there, like, it had an auxiliary cord so I could plug in, like, an iPad, iPod, you know? Oh, and I, I could actually play my own music. I still use aux cords when I, when I rent cars. I look for cars with aux cords because the aux cord works much better than Bluetooth, I think. It depends like on the Like, there's never an interruption, you know? There's just not any any kind of bullshit. I don't know. Yeah, Bluetooth is wonky. Uh, but I mean, I I definitely come from the generation where it's like past the ox is pretty normal to say. Past the ox. <laughs> yeah, like if you're at a party or hang out with people, be like past oh. the ox, and it's like all right, and then you yeah, put see, on whatever I, I don't go, music you like. That's the thing I don't know about because I don't go to parties, so. <laughs> I used to. Don't go to parties. Now I'm the person who messages you when I'm at a party and be like, what are you up to? And right. You say that you're like at a Middle Eastern place getting like falafel or something. Right. To make you envious. Right. I know. So I like don't have to watch someone doing a makeshift wedding and someone talking about 9-11 for some reason. Oh, boy. Uh Yeah. Uh So it was only the last couple of years that I, I got more of a choice. Uh, but like the, the first many years, so actually, no, now that I think about it, so when I drove in Boston, so the three, my first three years as a cab driver, I didn't listen to anything because I had to use a two way radio there Mm -hmm. to hear the dispatcher, uh, which is a technology that changed during my career as a cab driver. So there was this constant chatter of these voices calling out jobs and you had to have it on because you had to pick up, you know, to pick up the, to earn money, you know, it, unless you just wanted to drive around and help pe- get people off the street, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's this guy, uh, I don't know, do you ever watch that show Taxi, you know, with Danny DeVito? Yeah. All right. So Danny DeVito was the Louis, that character Louie, he was the dispatcher. And it was this, it'd be, it was usually men, uh, men who were former cab drivers and some of them were either insane or just alcoholics and they would sit and they would pick favorites. And if you didn't respond correctly to them, they would, they would make your life a living hell. But that's what I had to listen to all day for 12, 16 hours a day when I was a cab driver in Boston. (laughs) So there was not even a. There was no talk of music, <laughs> you know? Every now and then, maybe I'd put on the top 40 station if somebody asked or whatever, you know? What would that be, like, Or usually? some dance state. It'd be like Kiss FM here. What would it be in other cities? They they had their own Kiss FM, you know, whatever. Yeah. In Boston, there, well, in Boston, there was a lot of, like, college stations, so th- that's cool, but, like, you know, there was the rock station. There I was wish the, you this, pronounced that. Boston the way that, like, in, in the Boston, book. yeah, because like you have it where it's like you're called a wicked good artist or whatever. I can't do. Oh that yeah, Ad- yeah, yeah. That was a uh, that was my uh, elementary school uh, classmate, Mikey Cugini. He ca- he called me a wicked good artist. Yeah. <laughs> I I also wonder, like, do people really have like that thick accent there? They do. Oh, that's awesome. Because I mean, now like you come from like. One place, I mean, obviously Moscow, insanely thick accent. Yeah. Then Boston, insanely thick accent. Chicago, I don't hear Chicago in your uh, voice at all. No, uh, well, I think because 
because of the uh, the combination of the different uh, influences, because English is not my first language, uh, and the different places I've lived, my English is people never know where the fuck I'm from. Uh, I mean, I had sort of like a a persona, like when I was a cab driver in Boston, I I used to wear this black Stetson hat. I had like a persona. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. I mean, look, I, I was 24 I mean, years. I started driving a cab. You showed me before. Not the clown mask. The clown mask was just one Halloween in Chicago, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, which is yeah, one of the clowns from the Batman movie. The, the robbery, the, exactly. the bank robbery at the beginning. Is that Dark Knight or I forget yeah, which Dark one it Knight. is. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, I got the Stetson hat, like a, a for real cowboy hat. Like it was expensive and I drove around in it and people thought I was from Texas. Please tell me hat. you did a Texas accent. Did you do a Texas accent? No, I didn't do any fucking accent, but like that's all it takes. And luckily, no, I, I did not get the Boston accent. Also because of uh, the, the place that my parents moved to, Brookline, which is kind of like, it's a suburb, but it's on the train line, so it would be like Evanston to Chicago. It's it's the, the suburb that's connected to the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brookline is pretty upper class and uh, has a more international kind of flavor than other like Boston neighborhoods or some of the other suburbs. So that accent, that wicked ass thing, that's, that's a towny thing, you know, like that's like, well, that's all like generations of like Irish and stuff. Talk like that. Uh, I mean, Boston, even up to when I was a cab driver would have uh, scary projects filled with like third generation Irish immigrants that were like just rage filled like Marky Mark, you know, Mm Mm-hmm. Like those people, that's Southie, South Boston. That was a scary ass neighborhood of like very, very angry white people. You know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and they talk that way. They, they talk that way. Uh, oh, or wow. that, that character that. I am uh, realizing that speak, there's we, probably a whole like generation who has no idea who you're referencing when you said Marky Mark. Marky Mark? They don't know Marky Mark? I think they just uh, know... Uh, Mark Wahlberg. They, 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 they know, know it from, from his the, many... The Departed, and also he has his own uh, burger place now. He has a reality show, doesn't he? Yeah. There's a place here in Chicago yeah. now, though, called Wahlburgers. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, he had some kind of chain of restaurants. I thought those failed, but maybe they haven't. I don't know. Uh, uh, I know there's one in St. Charles, it, and my sister keeps telling me to go there. I'm just like, that seems so gimmicky. No. Perhaps they, perhaps they know from Rage Filled, like when he beat up an Asian guy in Boston. As a, <laughs> maybe they don't know for that, but like that's <laughs> one of his big moments of life history, shameful life history of of Mark Wahlberg. But <laughs> the, he doesn't but, exactly have a great life history. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's not a model citizen, uh, <laughs> angry guy. But that's that's where the, that accent or the the character uh, that uh, Jimmy Fallon plays on SN, looping it back to SNL. Ooh, back to SNL. Yeah, do you know that character? He when Jimmy Fallon was at on SNL, he had this. It was him and uh, I forget who the his girlfriend was. They were always making out. They were huge Red Sox fans. 
Oh my there, god, no, I know a what you're talking character. about. Especially because he but ended they, they up said, making wait. a movie where he was a Boston Red Sox fan and like was obsessed with it. Sure, and they they talk like that. <laughs> I mean, but it's the same. It's a character the way that the the like the Bears guys are, you know, mm-hmm. for Chicago. Uh, but yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, you, you you would be able you would hear it, and uh, for whatever reason, I didn't get it because I think when English is not your first language, you take in bits and pieces from wherever. I mean. In a smaller way, it's similar to, like, say, you know, anybody you're talking to, you will just unconsciously, you know, mimic their their patterns or their accents, you know? Oh, I know that all the time. Like, when, like, you're in another country for, like, months on end, and then suddenly you're realizing that you're pronouncing things the way they pronounce it and shit. Oh, well, or, or the way that so often, you, if you see, like, a white guy talk to a black guy... Oh, After a time, they start kind of mimicking the way the black guy talks. Do you ever notice that? It's always cringe. It happens all the fucking time. It's very cringe. All the time. It's cringe, but it's also super... Hu- it's like a... It's very natural. Really basic yeah. human thing. Yeah. Yeah, because you're trying to meet them. In, you're trying to mat- kind of mesh or match patterns, you know? It's it sounds bad in that example, but like it's not necessarily. I mean, when you think of sociolinguistics uh, like, and like, yeah, it fits. But then when you think of like the '90s and everything, and white people all trying to be like, oh, we're hip hop and all yeah. that, then it's like, ah, that sounds bad. It's bad because of what white people do to black people in America. It's not bad because like what it's one person trying to relate to another person by acting the way they do, in 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 an innocent way. You know what I mean? Because that's what we all do. I mean, otherwise you can't communicate. Otherwise, you spend your whole time just defining terms. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, but uh, yeah, with paint by numbers, I don't think we actually <laughs> said what the fuck the book's about. Okay, so I because it's a tough there's thing. There's a to lot of things like I, I was gonna say. You even have different fonts in here and everything. It definitely has a lot of different. Oh no. Yes, Mooch. there's a lot of different thing. Yeah, and it's it's probably like my most non-standard like I don't want to say experimental, but like it's it's not a straight narrative and it's not just non-fiction. Uh it's made up of a lot of different things and what it starts off with is a cease and desist letter, which is a thing that I actually got after working for almost a year on an article that was supposed to be a, a cover story for a local indie uh, alt-weekly that anybody can guess which one it is because I still work for them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was working... I got to know this guy on Twitter uh, who was at one time a big deal musician and actor and all kinds of other things. Speaking of like earlier, you were talking about wanting to be like a Renaissance band or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. being, you know, playing music, doing art, doing writing. So this is a person that did all that and had his moment, but was trying to sort of resurrect his life and or like he'd had a, he'd had a, like a bout of serious illness and he kind of became a recluse, but he went on Twitter and started trying to connect with people and kind of like get back in the limelight, I guess. Mm-hmm. And because I was a fan of this person when I was a child, basically in the 80s, 
I, I fell for it, you know, mm-hmm. and decided that I was going to write this article. And I, I worked on it and worked on it. And uh, like a couple of days before it was set to go to print, my editors at the paper returned this edited copy. And I made the mistake of sending it to this guy. And he went fucking ballistic and threatened to sue me and sue them and sue everybody. And my last communication with him was him telling me to go shoot myself. I mean, uh, you know, he urged you carefully to think about your actions before you published, so. Yes, yes. Well, that, that, was, that was lawyerese. <laughs> See, that's, it, it's funny, somebody, uh, I think it's, it was our friend Adam Gennady, I think. So, somebody was, like, pointed out uh, how badly written that letter is. Oh, yeah. Because it's, because it's it's in lawyer. That's not my writing. I, I changed. I moved some shit around, but that's that's the actual letter. As someone who has a <laughs> lot of like lawyers in my family, I'm just like, yeah, this is some bland ass lawyer crap. It it's numbingly repetitive, and it's got no fucking grace or style. But uh, they're not yeah, going for uh, that. <laughs> no, no, they're they're there to make their point. And, uh, extract wholly unnecessary portions of the article. Wow. Yeah, inst- to instill fear and uh, threaten, threaten retribution or whatever. And it fucking worked, you know, because I got, I, I convinced uh, the paper to, to pull, pull the story, which is like no writer wants that ever, you know, especially on something that you've worked on for going on a year. And it, it got me blackballed from the paper for a couple of years. And, uh, but I, I put it away and I sat on it for about a decade, this, this thing that happened. But it, you know, it kind of just kept eating at me. And uh, so a couple of years ago, I decided to sort of like make a book uh, with that as the uh, inciting incident or the, the kind of letting go, whatever. That's, that's where it started, was that. Now, can I ask, obviously, the very first uh, page, before we launch into that, you have the one quote from Silver Jews. What mood are you trying yeah. to give us? Like, are you trying to, like, launch us into the, like, God, I fucking hate these people? I also really like the fuck them if they can't take a joke part in the beginning when you're doing uh, the copyright oh, yeah. part. I want to start doing oh, that yeah, in I my have, books. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, on the colophon with the credits and stuff where you get all your, uh, all the technical information that's in a book is on this page, you know, where you get your publishing information, who printed it, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I have a, a sort of disclaimer in there that people can, can find. <laughs> but I love the quote uh, where it's, why can't monsters get along with monsters? And we immediately launch into that cease and desist Why letter. can't monsters get along with other, get along with other monsters? Yeah, because it, it's sort of, a, well, I love, I love the Silver Jews. It's one of my favorite bands. There, there's a Silver Jews song on the playlist. I was for that excited. reason among, among others. Them. Yeah, I was just like, all right, Dimitri yeah. threw some stuff that he knew I would know, and he wasn't going to totally try and throw me. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I guess on that playlist, <laughs> Silver Jews may be the most mainstream thing on that playlist. <laughs> um, I would hilarious. say the Who would be. Oh no, no, the Who is on there. Yeah. Yeah. 
and I, I can say why they're on there, but uh, uh, this is fun. Uh, it was fun uh, to make this playlist because it's not the first playlist I've made for this book. I made another playlist for Large Hearted Boy. Yeah, uh, I saw that and I was comparing. For David Gutowski, it's a totally different different lineup, you know? There's a couple of the same artists, but different songs. I think there was a Silver Jews on the first one too, but... Oh, yeah, I think on his, I used the song in which that line, Why Can't Monsters Get Along With Other Monsters, is from. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I used that also because... Because the book, although it's, so it starts out with this guy that wanted to sue me, but it's about sort of like it's a collection of all my experiences in the art world one way or another and, uh, and the idea of the art monster, which is, uh, which is, a uh, what was her name? Uh, that writer, she, she wrote, uh, Department of Speculation, uh, Jenny Ophel, I think her name is. Perhaps. Did you ever read that book? No. It's a good book. Uh, let me just look that up. It's, I, I don't want to. I don't want to miscredit her. I think it's Jenny Ophel. Uh, come on, Google. Yeah, Jenny Ophel. Yeah, she's uh, Department of Speculation, and uh, she coined this term called uh, of, of the art monster. Which is like a person that sort of all they, their whole life is dedicated to making art. They don't give a shit about like what kind of damage they cause to anybody, any of their relationships. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're like, their whole being is about like being this great creative genius. So in a, in a way, like my book is kind of like a, a consideration of that. And uh, I hope I hope it's clear that I don't let myself off the hook either because I'm, I'm, I'm of that world no matter how much I hate it I'm one of them you know I would say this feels my like interaction. your airing of grievances and you, you obviously <laughs> you do you do say like where you went wrong a couple times but yeah well one of the one of the reasons and then I mean I incorporated some other other situations that I've been in, it, it started out being just the story of this one guy who kind of gave me a very hard time with this cease and desist letter, but it kind of widened into other interactions with known uh, artists and uh, the kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, the way they bend reality around them to, in order to create their world I mean, that's the brand uh, that you and I constantly talk about. That they which all, brand? <laughs> that, like, each, like, artist and writer and everybody, they're all trying to, like, have their own brand and make it all about, like, who they are and shit. Well, it's, it's like a... It's some kind of, like, reality distortion field, you know, where in order for them to make the thing that they make, like, whether they're good or bad, everything else kind of gets bent or distorted to their, into their uh, conception of the world. Mm -hmm. And it makes it very difficult to interact with them if, if you ever question what they're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's very much why I actually like your writing. 
I mean, I know I constantly joke about the fact that, like, you have no joy. And I hope you do understand that that's me always <laughs> joking about it. But, like, you're never afraid to, like, say what your actual opinions are about some of these people. Like, you're probably shattering some of these people's egos. And I kind of love it. Like, bringing them back down Babe, to well, thank you. Yeah, uh, but I mean, one of the one of the reasons I sat on some of this stuff for a decade, you know, this thing that happened with the inciting incident happened a decade ago now. You know, I always felt and that like, I really want as if I got older, I'd be more like you and not give a fuck as much. So, so you feel like you're constrained by how uh, I notice myself being afraid that somebody will react badly. I notice myself caring less, and I think that that's an age thing, maybe. I don't know. But I think maybe yeah, with I, you, I, I think I would it's guess like so. you just don't... I don't know. I, I notice you don't hold back. No, and, I mean, well, it's cost me plenty, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it's cost me opportunities. It's co You know, if, if I knew how to play the game better, I, I would be a much more successful artist and writer and everything else. Human, probably. Yeah, you know, playing but the game is boring. I guess I I wouldn't fucking know because I don't know how to. I'm clearly a failure at playing the game. <laughs> uh, I. You know, there's certain you know, <laughs> just me, me and Liam Neeson. We have particular sets of skills, you know, but. A particular set of skills, and diplomacy is not one of them, unfortunately. And and uh, a huge part of uh, success in the art world is schmoozing and cultivating relationships. I would say that's in the social same with settings writing, too. It's just always yeah, going yeah. to like the yeah. openings and as you said, schmoozing, networking, making pals with everybody. I've noticed I've gotten less obsessed with, like, oh, I need to be friends with this person and that person, and I can't, like, do a negative yeah. review here or whatever. Ex exactly. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, like, a very real-life example of what happens. I mean, I wrote a very negative review last summer of a book by a formerly me? local writer. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's the one of Mount Chicago by Adam Levin. Oh, yeah, you uh, went I'll fucking say that. the name. Right. And I'm not friends with Adam Levin. Uh, we we know each other slightly. We used to hang out at the same coffee shops in like the late 90s, you know? Uh, but I fucking hated that book, and I was not shy about saying so. Uh, actually, in the same paper that uh, the inciting incident uh, of my book, Paint My Numbers, takes place, more or less. Although know. in my book, it's, a fictional, it's fictionalized. The, the Chicago repeater, or the reader, <laughs> let's say, oh. as it is in, in our universe. In my, in my multiverse, it's the repeater. <laughs> but, uh, I'm just so going to refer to them as the repeater from now on, but yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so um, I'd be very honored if that took off. But uh, hey, we'll see. I wrote this review, and look, it's, it's a 600-page book. Uh, published by like one of the major, you know, the, the remaining whatever three or four big publishers. There's so few. It's just going to be one one fucking Death Star soon, right? Okay. I also so, thought it was like the big six, and now it just keeps getting like smaller and smaller. No, it's uh, it's down to four, I think. Jeez. But uh, and it's trying to be it's trying trying to contract more. But anyways, somebody paid this guy a healthy advance and put out a hardcover book that's 600 pages long. 
And it's one of the worst fucking books I've ever read. And it's got nothing to do with my feelings about this author. But because of what I wrote, I, I lost a friend. Not the author, but the friend, the author's friend, who was my friend. Mm-hmm. And this is an example of a person that is not calculating or figuring out the consequences of their words and actions in in the uh, sphere that they they're in. I mean, me, you know. Mm-hmm. If I was smarter, I would have I would have gotten that review killed, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't have had it published. I think but you I'm said not smart. that you considered <laughs> that for a second. I wrestled with it, yeah. But the thing is that if if that book had been published by an indie, like say it was published by. I don't know whoever fucking two dollar radio, like a respect, like but like an indie publisher, I I would have gotten it killed. I don't say that. Absolutely, be don't shit on the little guy, unless they're a really big. Yeah, fan. that's it's punching down. Yeah, you know. Uh, but I do this like was that put you out hated by the little stuff. That was pretty funny. The what? The little stuff in the book about like. Was it? I think you noted that like they don't have Coronas at Rainbow Club or something. Oh yeah, well yeah because yeah he's. Tr- uh, Were I, you I don't just like really, taking really notes and be like you go- dumbass? They don't have this or. No, but he thought I I'm I will bet you money he thought he was being clever by changing things like that. By these are like tweaking things for the locals, you know, like everybody local knows that the, the Rainbow doesn't serve Corona. And that's him, like, taking artistic license and being clever. That's the level of clever, you know? It's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, whatever. I'd like uh, to imagine that that's someone being clever, but you never know. Look, that guy's got, like, he's got, like, an army of cadre of, of little, little, like, literary nerds that think he's, like, Jesus. So he doesn't need me. But... A big publisher, a huge corporation, paid this guy good money, and I, you know, my reading this fucking book cost me a week of my life that I'll never have back. Uh, and fuck him, in his book, uh, you know. <laughs> but my doing all that has cost me an actual real friendship. <laughs> you know, so that's where an example of why I call myself a dumb painter and all this other stuff, you know. Because I can't help it, because all I've got is these... All I can do is give an honest take and an honest opinion. Uh, you know, no damn the consequences. That's me. You know? I dig that. That's what I do. Uh, <laughs> well, I, 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 know I appreciate that you do. Like, yeah, no, many I, people don't. <laughs> sometimes I, like, I'm a little worried that you don't get the... Like, I'm just poking fun at you. Like, it's just it's amusing, because yeah. I don't know anyone that's so brutally honest like it's funny <laughs> i'm not the only one there's people that you know i didn't invent this but uh i mean i just feel that this is like the only thing we have if 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 you've you know i've de- dedicated my life to like making art and then and, and then more recently writing and stuff like this is the only thing that really matters to me and if i'm going to start lying or kind of like mush-mouthing my way through this, then what the fuck is the point of the whole thing? You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, you got to stand for something in this world, like something. This this is the hill that I'm dying on and keep dying on repeatedly, you know? 
I've died a thousand deaths on this hill, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that could be the title and of that, the next book. Although I really think it should be Worst Jew Ever. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's that. that that's another hill I could die on. <laughs> you and your damn tattoos, uh, yeah. Dimitri. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, Worst Jew Ever. Can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery because covered in tattoos. Okay, you know that that uh, would, <laughs> book would jump out at people. Especially because all your books are, okay, I hate this term, autofiction. You think my books are autofiction? I, I don't, yeah, like I don't it, ever know, but, but. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Remember when we were at the printer's row? Uh huh. Every time someone was like, oh, what's this about? You consistently were like, oh, this is about my experiences doing this. This is my experiences doing that, and shit like that. I guess so, broadly, but like. The thing is, I mean, like, you know, autofiction is a pretty recent term, but, like, Damn, go back Carol. to the whole history. The, the, the entire history of literature, uh, at least Western literature, which, you know, goes back, whatever, five, six hundred years, right? To, say, Don Quixote or, like, Tristram Shandy or whatever people consider the Decameron, whatever they consider the first work, like, first novel, it's always it always incorporates like the author's experiences and then maybe changes some names. How is it any different? I I don't know. I don't know what I I think these the the terms are like I don't know if they're always useful. Yeah, I mean as the years go on I, we always come up with other bullshit. I mean maybe back then we might have been like oh maybe it's Germanoclay and everything you're always changing like the names not always but sometimes. Yeah. But I, I mean, think it's like only a hardcore yeah. memoir would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. But the thing with the memoir is, and this is the thing that I kind of bumped up against uh, when I first started writing about uh, being a cab driver. Like my first editor ever was a woman named Allison True at the Chicago Reader. And she wanted to run some episodes from my blog, Hack, which, you know, like after it was a zine, it became a blog when I revived it, when I started driving in Chicago. And the reader wanted to run them online. And that was the first time, this was around 2009 or so. Mm -hmm. when I, It was the first time I'd ever dealt with an editor. That was my first experience with an editor. And we'd have these long discussions about what constitutes fiction and nonfiction? Because I realized from writing these entries about these experiences I had in the cab that I was leaving lots of stuff out. You know what I mean? I was choosing what to include. And I was not necessarily factual. I wasn't fact-checking any of this stuff. So is that is, is that it's not a history book. You know, it's not data. Yeah. So what is a memoir? It's it's you're picking like and choosing, you're editing. Is, is yeah, I always feel like it's just your perspective of what your life's been. Did I lose you? Yeah, not really. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> there are historical events. You, you you can pin you can you can fix the dates and stuff, but you can't fact check somebody's feelings about like their breakup or something. You know what I mean? That they're writing about in their book. Mm -hmm. Like how, how will you fact check that? That's those aren't facts or feelings. 
That is true. So I think it's, it's, it's a lot of gray areas and I don't know. I, I like, I don't think the thing I'm doing is like, I'm not doing what Knausgaard is doing, say. Mm-hmm. Like Knausgaard is the king of auto fiction, right? Probably at this say. point or was. He, I guess he's fading out, but, but this is a guy that wrote, you know, like writes a thousand page book about every, like, quote, allegedly everything that happened every day of his fucking life, right? Mm-hmm. He's writing a nonfiction novel. They, that's another thing they call them, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, I guess, I guess the thing I do is somewhere in that area. Uh, I mean, there's definitely always an acknowledgement. And in my last two books, which I've called fiction because I've changed names and timelines and stuff, I've always acknowledged that. You know what I mean? I've put it in there that I'm changing things and these are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. You know? Because, well, in the case of Pain by Numbers, I'm not interested in starting, like, starting shit with these people that I'm writing about. I was because gonna starting ask shit if you with that, like, talk to these people before writing. No. Okay. Like, because no, you're not always shitty talk to, to everybody. Like, there are some people I was like, oh, maybe he like. <laughs> you know, there are some people where it's like, oh, all right, like this is just a story, you know, and random ass thing he's yeah. talking about, and I'm just like, oh, do they realize that like he yeah. signs that like, oh, you're giving a like shout out to them or. Uh. I don't, I, uh, no. no. Uh, I mean, there's a few people that are featured in Pay by Numbers that I'm probably in touch with still, but I, I definitely would not point them towards the book and say, look, I wrote about you in here, you know, kind of thing. And, and the, especially the, the, you know, the main characters and the, the things that tend to be more, a little bit more negative. Uh, one of the reasons I changed the names and the timelines is that I'm not interested in engaging in a debate with them because I think they're beyond reasoning and beyond talking to and I've cut them out of my life they've cut me out of theirs you know for various reasons it's really easy and in the social media it, world too to cut people out and that's that's as it should be like I don't want them in my life but they've affected me in a certain way and the way that you know writers process or get through experiences in their lives is by writing about it that's what I've done <laughs> and I'm hoping that when people read these, it's not a matter of like a, this decodering kind of Romana Clay thing where like if you just guess who this person is, then you'll know the answer. Mm-hmm. That's not the point. The point is is to kind of describe a world uh, like the art world in this case and how people act to each other. And it, hopefully a reader will find things that they can recognize and apply to their own life, you know, and see where it's not... This kind of behavior that I describe is not exclusive to the art or writer world, you know? I think it happens in, a, like, an office or a factory, too, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in, in our uh, society, those those people are not uh, kind of glamorized the same way as artists and writers are. Mm-hmm. I but like... The, the kind of... Me- yeah, the ego and megalomania is the same everywhere, <laughs> I think. I like that, like, although this is very heavily, like, rooted in, like, I guess we'll say the art world. Are we blanketly just saying, like, kind of, like, visual art when we say that? Cause I, yeah, I although, I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's the kind of references to music and other, other kinds of fields as well in there, like, out. all over the place. There's music, 
through all of this, and that's why I think this is perfect for you to be on textual healing. Good call. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking at this amazing picture. I don't know what we call it, seventy page 79. Yeah, it's page 79. I uh, like let it. Let me see. Uh Give me, give me, a, give me one second, and I will pull it up so I can, I can know what you are talking about. You mean you don't have your book handy right in front of you? I, I will if if you give me <laughs> another thirty seconds. Page what seventy nine? You said yeah. Oh shit! Almost there. And I mean, I guess seventy nine. There. That feels like the mood of the entire book. Oh, with 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 the dancing girls mm-hmm. and the, and the musicians underneath. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the that's the mood of the the whole book. That's what I definitely got from cool. it. That, that that definitely expressed everything. That and obviously your quotes and I, I I like that you obviously talk about. I don't know. There's a really cool dichotomy when you're talking about like say obviously like more orchestra music and then you're also mentioning the Ramones and shit yeah <laughs> yeah that that was a the Ramones are mentioned in a in, in a little chapter uh, from art school which also definitely happened where I was in this painting class and this teacher asked me if I wanted my painting to be the like the Ramones and he meant it like that's that was like a bad thing you know <laughs> That is not a bad uh, thing, especially you know, given the playlist you gave me. I I just want to like compare and contrast this playlist really quickly. You got a lot of like cool uh-huh. lo-fi and like I wouldn't say like punk exactly, but you have some good rock songs and everything. Obviously obscure. Yeah. What's the deal with you giving me that and Large Hearted Boy being like as very mainstream as possible? Is it? Is it? Let's see. Okay, let me look at. I'm looking at John Lennon, Neil Young, and Crazy Horse, Billie Eilish, Dimitri. Yeah, yeah. I guess it was more. It was more mainstream. There's Were you there's in some a other mood well, while making these. I must have been. No, but there's still there's still many many of those songs are about about art in various ways and about other themes in this. There's some jazz on there. Uh, I think it evolved well because given more time, it evolves. You know, I didn't want to repeat myself and just give you the same thing. I wanted to go above and beyond. I want to try extra hard for my friend Mallory. And you want to stop me? <laughs> and Hersha. <laughs> Uh, not necessarily. I mean, almost each of these the the songs on on your playlist uh, reference either a person in this book or like a theme, uh, one way or the other. Uh, I mean, the complication with not with with not revealing the actual sources of these some of these people that I'm writing about is they're they're public figures, and if I just went and like use music they that they were involved with it would give give it all away and it it's not interesting it 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 ruins the point it defeats the point mm-hmm. and it, it gets it it gives them a voice uh or like it, or like in the conversation in a way that i don't feel they deserve you know because they've had their say already as far as i'm concerned <laughs> 
as far as my art goes. You know what I mean? They have their own art. They have their own thing. And if if I start using their names, uh, it, it lets them in in a way that I'm not interested in at this point. You know, this is this is history. This is my history, and this is my version of the story. And they can write their own book, and motherfuck me to death, you know, and call me whatever names. And they're they're absolutely within their rights to do so, you know. And I would not be upset. I'd be flattered. So. <laughs> This is a relatively well, because, short like, book, and I would say the playlist uh-huh. that you gave me was about an hour long. Uh-huh. Yep. Do you think that, like, I could read it all to this playlist? And, like, I'd Ooh, get the whole mood? That's a good question. Uh, how fast a reader are you? Uh, you can read could this book pretty hour, quick. I like, 100 pages an hour, maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you could just about read this book. You know, filled with, like, blank pages and, like, paintings and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I cut down a lot of stuff. It could have, the book could have been longer, but I, at a certain point, realized that, like, like, why? I I don't find any inherent value in, like, I don't think something longer is better than something shorter, inherently mm-hmm. like unless it needs to be you know what i mean agreed uh that's that's definitely a a a, a symptom of this like auto fiction moment we're in like people are just overstuffing their books with pages i i think a lot of a lot of current books are too long that's what Some... i find as a maybe it's that as a reviewer <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I wish I wish a lot of these books were shorter. I, I think there's yeah, there's say, a yeah. lot of fat. I wish people would just <laughs> cut to the chase sometimes. And that's that was one of the goals of this book is like I I could have I could have included ten other stories of shit that happened in the art world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or gone deeper and deeper into it. But I think this gives a reader a taste. I don't know. I mean, I know a. a I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten that much feedback on this book, but like some people have liked it. Oh, why not? I don't know how inside. Maybe it's like too inside baseball. I don't know. Uh, like, do you have to know a lot about like the art and music world to appreciate this book? It's a question for to you. I don't know. I mean, I appreciated it still, and I know very little about the art world. Good. I mean, that's <laughs> that. That's what like I'm hoping. Like it didn't go over my I head mean, like, or anything. I mean, obviously some of these parts would yeah. be like, mm, I don't really exactly know that, but like, that's what yeah. the internet's for, Dimitri. Exactly. That's the that's the other reason I feel like this is a time for writers. They can be very brief, you know, and concise because you can plant a couple of words into a book and send people down rabbit holes, you know what I mean? I would say, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a, chap, there's a chapter in my book, one of, the, one of the things that's completely unchanged, there's a chapter about an, a painter named Albert York, and he's sort of my example of, like, what I wished my art career would have been like, and he's totally real. Mm-hmm. Like, you can look up Albert York paintings, and I didn't make him up or anything, you know? And he's dead, so he, he won't be upset or anything. Uh, uh, but like that, I'm a total fan of that guy, and and people can look look things up, 
and with with a little bit of a, a tiny bit of like internet detective work you could figure out who i'm talking about in almost this whole book you know i mean what i did and like this you, could be i don't know how other people read yeah. books obviously but like uh, i underline yeah. stuff and be like look this up later or i'm curious more about this thing that you spoke about and then i'll just you know google it yeah so well, like, like for instance the it gets me as you just yeah, said into the heavy like rabbit hole I think we call them wiki wormholes now or something. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wiki wormhole. That, that's a, it sounds scuzzy. <laughs> well, it's cool because, like, you get onto the Wikipedia page of certain people, and then you're like, oh, uh -huh. what the fuck is this thing now that they're talking about? And before you know it, you've been on Wikipedia for, like, three hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and... Uh, it, the, like related to what you were saying about like when you were a kid and you wanted to learn an instrument because you thought that like the people that you looked up to were usually good at more than one thing. A lot of the people that I write about in this book are either for one reason or another had to change their mediums, you know, or had tried one thing and then tried another, you know. <laughs> like the, the, the guy that sent me the cease and desist letter started out a musician and became a painter later, you know. Uh, so that that's definitely a thing. And then the the illustration on page seventy nine that you liked uh, that was accompanying a story about this guy doing this jazz series in, in a bar, you know, and kind of alienating all the regular customers by by playing free jazz in the middle of a bar, <laughs> and that that actually absolutely happened. <laughs> See, I kind of love that. Yeah. At a place that I worked, but <laughs> so, yeah. That's actually probably it's, one of my know, favorite parts of you, too, is you have done so many random-ass jobs. Well, the, the thing is that, like, you fucking have to. If if you're going to make your life about art in, in America, you have to do some st stupid-ass fucking jobs because America does not give a shit about art. You know, sorry, America, but you, like you hate art, like actual art. No, we like don't. not 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 products. I mean art. You know, like I mean, well, you've been bartending, you've done taxi driving. You obviously you said you tried Uber briefly. Yeah, yeah, they gave me oh, my last few months as a cab driver. They gave me the the app. They gave me an actual iPhone, and I used it. For a couple of months, and it was yeah, it was like a looking into the future, you know, <laughs> like the crystal ball. Uh, I I knew it was like that was the the end of the cab world, but they didn't know it. They were dead already, and they didn't know it. <laughs> I almost feel like you're a freelance worker in general, where you just kind of randomly fill in places these days, like rainbow. Yeah, Club. these days, yeah, like I fill in bartends sometimes, and. Yeah, I do all this do random shit like reputation? illustration. Like where people just know it's like I'll call Dimitri, he can fill in. Well, I mean, in the case of the Rainbow Club, I've been a regular, regular at the Rainbow there. Club going on 30 years. You know, like th I have an art show there every year. You know, like they know me. Oh, that was fun checking <laughs> the bar, out, by the, the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm going to have another one at the end of June. Uh, maybe maybe uh, before this I don't know when you're going to air this, but like oh, it'll be on June 25th, June. 
Okay, June. Okay. <laughs> For the people of the future, <laughs> June 25th, 2023, I'm going to have an art opening at the Rainbow Club. Hell yeah, and get your cheap PBR there. It's really good. Yes, yes, yes. One of the most affordable uh, bars in the city, but bring cash. That old-fashioned thing, it's like, it's a, it's a monetary, monetary form that's why made I out of paper. I don't, I, that's always why I get the cheap <laughs> drinks, because I never carry that much cash. Well, yeah. But that's how the, that's how the drinks remain cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, you get into all those credit card fee- processing fees. Yeah, uh, so it's not a reputation. It's just it's, it's just a matter of being a regular. And also, the Rainbow is sister bar to the Skylark, where I, I worked for years. So, uh, but yeah, you have to have all kinds of random-ass jobs. Like, you know, I have to, you know, I do pet portraits. I do... You know, book reviews that alienate people and st- make them stop being my friend. You know, <laughs> I do all this weird shit, uh, you know, to pay my bills because because America hates art. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title or, of this episode. America hates art. Yeah. Or at least America doesn't sufficiently uh, appreciate my art for me to pay my bills by it. That's still the dream. I'm I'm as close to that dream as I've ever been in my life, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't complain, really. Like, yeah, I, I bitch about America and how it doesn't understand art, but, uh, you know, I've made my way through somehow. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd say a lot of us... There's worse lives to have had. ...who aren't trust funders, <laughs> you know. We scrape by. Yeah, it. Yeah, uh, I. You know, I. I wish this country valued art. I. I really do. You know, <laughs> uh, they don't uh, because, well, there's many reasons why. But uh, I don't know. Uh, but I live here, and I mean, sometimes I get into these arguments with people, like or like you know, like my parents will get like frustrated that I. I, I, they think I'm like shitting on America, you know, the country that they chose to move to. But uh, You're 52 years this old. This is where I live. So arguments. Oh, always. But yeah, the Damn, political arguments never end. end. Oh, that, that, that's a, like it, a, it never ends, unfortunately. I can see my future now. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, that's the thing is, yeah, you talk to me and like <laughs> you use me as a fucking fortune teller. And it's nothing but bleak and dark. Skies ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, it's no, like less no, giving the, the a shit, sh- but also the parents will still always be annoying. Got it. Okay. <laughs> no, no. In the best case scenario, and like I, I get along with my parents really well at this point, and it took a long time, but it's it's a matter of just accepting them as humans, not as like keeping keeping all the whatever you're mad at them for, however they mistreated you as a child, whatever you have to let. That should go. You have to. I think as an adult, or you suddenly understand why eats you up. they were annoying. Yeah. Once you, yeah, I've, that's my definition of an adult is recognizing like that your parents made their choices because of the situations they were in and they have flaws like you do and they, they didn't make all their decisions just to make you, your life a pain, you know, like it wasn't done to you. 
You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, once you I can separate that, why my dad then you're a grown a pain up. in the ass, and he was always angry all the time. But then I was like, oh, he was the only one working, and he had five kids. I'd be pissed off too. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That's that's where like you you, you say sometimes, oftentimes that you can't believe you're an adult, but you're if you can if you can uh, form that into words, then you're an adult. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's that's what a child cannot do, you know. <laughs> A child thinks that everything is about them. I mean, you can still be annoyed by it and everything, but like... Oh, of course. Yeah, no, you don't have to like it. But you, if you come to some acceptance of it uh, and can see your way in, you know, to their point of view, at least you don't have to agree, but you can see why, then, then you know, at least, you know, whatever. Relatively, you're a grown-up. It definitely is this weird, That's what like, some of these... Fo- it's weird when you like still want to be angry, but then you're like, shit, empathy. Yeah, yeah. And that's also one of the things that like the these the artists who get like big enough and like start reading their own press and believe that they're geniuses, they kind of revert to a childlike state where like they can't be questioned anymore. And if you question them, then they they just throw a tantrum, you know, like... I mean, they surround themselves you know. with, like, yes, men, they're they're in a vacuum. And then yeah, sycophants, yeah. Dimitri walks in, and you're not part of that world. You're just like, what up? And you pop that bubble that they're in. Yeah, Dimitri, who special, seems to specialize in raining on people's parades, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. Like with Cocaine Bear. God damn it, Dimitri. Yeah, I'm sorry. I made Cocaine Bear a bummer for people. Hey, you know what? You saved a couple hours of my life because I was just like, should I see this? I see? I typing. See, uh, I, I provide a public service at least to a, a few people. Yeah, where it's like, just look at the memes. Okay, got it. Totally. Yeah, yeah, that case, totally. Yeah, but... But yeah, that's like earlier I was talking about like the kind of reality distortion field around some of these like creative people or these what we call artists, you know. But in this country, we call Britney Spears an artist. So what the fuck do we know, you know? Uh, but yeah, or like whatever, Kanye West or Donald Trump or any of them, you know. Uh, everything's hunky-dory. Everything's great as long as you agree with them and you're their crew. But if you question anything they do, suddenly you're garbage and you're a pariah, you know, and you're their enemy. I was going to say that that's not most hardcore. It would be the Swifties. They scared the hell out of me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, they're scarier going than right like now. the Kanye fans. <laughs> you know what? A lot of the Kanye fans are just kind of like almost like kind of stepping back cautiously right now and it's like okay at least you're accepting yeah it. they got a lot of they got a lot of egg on their face and they've got that, there's a lot of shit that you can't explain away you know like that the guy they love so much is just a fucking mental patient you know whereas like if i say like my favorite taylor swift song or sign i get stares and i'm just like oh that was not it really? that wasn't the answer oh, oh. Oh, oh, there's there's songs that you're not supposed to like the best? Yeah, like, apparently a lot of them don't like folklore. And I was like, oh, shit, that was the oh. one I liked. And that's the one that you like? That's the one that you like the best? Yeah, and now yeah. everyone's losing their mind because she's going through a breakup, and it's like... Oh, really? News to me. Who's she breaking up from? breaking up with somebody. 
Isn't that what all her songs are about? Basically, I, I, I actually, yeah. TikTok might be my favorite thing right now where everyone's just like, the best album is about to be made. Oh, really? Because this is her longest Oh, because she's going through another breakup? Yeah. Right. So see, Taylor Swift is, is, is like a, a, what's her, auto-fiction person too. She's like yeah. manufacturing her art from, from her relationships. It, where the fuck else are you going to get this material from? <laughs> you know, some people and are I know really nothing. cool and are able to just manifest stuff like purely out of nowhere. And I think those people are the true badasses. Just going to say that. Really? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's pretty uh, impressive. I, I, have a, a lot, I, I have a lot of trouble with the people that like work for whatever imagination or make-believe because that's what it it just seems like that's what all it is is make-believe well, yeah of course it's make-believe but don't you get like fascinated where you're like how the hell did your brain come up with that uh for me uh, i have a really hard time suspending my disbelief and falling into these lonely the imaginary worlds i like the worlds like look any any artistic creation is you know art is short for artifice i've you know, it's 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 all fake. It not fake, but it's it's constructed by a person, mm-hmm. and it's a. But you you're building a model of a thing that's supposed to replicate or remind you of your actual life. Mm-hmm. And if you do it correctly, somebody will look at it and recognize something from their own experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if I see a fucking a sky full of dragons or spaceships, I just don't give a shit. <laughs> like, that's my default reaction. Like, you got to go way deep in there and put some human stuff in there for me to ignore the dragons and spaceships. You know what I mean? Now I'm just trying to figure out, like, if there is a sci-fi or fantasy out there for you. I'm not sure. Dragon spaceship. <laughs> uh, hey, we can make a movie uh, called so lo- Dragon Spaceship. Dragon spaceship, yeah. <laughs> uh, the dragon show I haven't seen at all. Uh, what's it called? Game of Thrones. I haven't watched uh, that either. I just don't care. Like I know people love it, and I, I'm, I'm super happy for them. I just don't fucking care. Uh, Solaris, I like. That's a that's a mo- sci-fi movie that I really like. We gotta specify but the original. Yes. Of course. Yeah. Come on. Oh, I have to say that because um, a lot of people have been talking about Suspiria lately, and I didn't know that they had a remake. And I was like, what? Like, people know. Go back to the original. Yes. Yeah. uh, I haven't seen it. It's with uh, Tilda Swinton. It's decent, Uh, but not like the original. uh, I've heard. Yeah. I just, I feel no need to. I mean, look, uh, yeah. uh, Let the Right One In was remade in America, too. Like, why? Yeah. and a girl with a jade dragon tattoo remade. Why? We run out of uh, ideas. It's America really fucking boring. It's art. Yeah, America hates art exactly because they they'd rather go with a thing that's tried it like already an established formula because they think that's a recipe for success. And oftentimes it's not. Like even on a monetary level, like a lot of those things just flop mm-hmm. like badly. Like they. They don't uh, estimate correctly, and they, yeah, it it fails. But like, but when they fasten onto a formula, then they want to run it into the ground. Like, you know, like 
most of like American sitcoms are based on British shows. But it, the British shows end after like you know ten episodes or twenty, and the American ones run for like three hundred. Yeah, the issue you though know? is when they try to copy it too much. Like I don't know if you've watched the British uh, The Office versus our The Office. Sure. It did not translate well in the first season because we don't. Well, they had to completely the same they, sense of humor. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting case because that started as a British show, but like they mutated into something completely different, you know? Because Americans didn't like the first season. They're like, ah, no. Yeah. And um, the American the American version has the, the great advantage of not having Ricky Gervais in it. <laughs> <laughs> so. so do you have a thing where you prefer, like, artists and uh, musicians and writers who are more of the underdog? As I was going through a lot of your music, obviously, your hour-long playlist, it's just paint-by-numbers, yeah. obviously. If anyone wants to look it up on yeah. Spotify, it's my public playlist. A lot of them... Oh, so you posted it on Spotify as a playlist? Yeah, you know, everyone could enjoy it. Okay, cool. Uh, my original uh, playlist is made public on Apple Music for anybody who has Apple Music as paint-by-numbers. Paint-by-numbers with... Uh, Textual healing edition, I think, in in uh, in uh, what are they called? Uh, parentheses. Because uh, there's yeah, another. Yeah, I don't like the first textual one. healing shit because there are so many textual healing playlists that people have made. <laughs> are there? To me, yes. But that's good. Isn't that good? So you have like an it's archive of all this music. But yes. <laughs> I'm trying to help. I'm trying to grow your brand, Mallory. I'm trying to be a good American. Come on. I'm trying. No one I know. <laughs> I'm failing, but I'm Apple trying. Music, so you're helping. Oh. No, I, how is it that, like, what? you discover this music that, like, so few people are into? And I say so few because he's like, <laughs> it's so funny when you say it because, like, I'll see, like, the hundreds of thousands of, like, plays, you know, on Spotify. Yeah. Maybe it's more popular on different platforms or anything. How did you find those? How did you get into that? Well, I think uh, now looking at this list, most of this music is from beyond, uh, from before the streaming age. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's music. And uh, almost all this, except for that, we talked earlier about that, that Bob Ross, that Zandy P. That was the only thing that was new, brand new to me. And that's just because I needed a Bob Ross song because of the theme of the book. Because it's about art and what, what, how people relate to art, especially in America, and one of the ways is through these TV how-to shows. Uh, but the rest of them, uh, I've been fan of a fan of one way or another for decades. Some of this stuff. Uh, so this I shit mean, would just like what be playing in a bar or something, and you'd be like, I dig that. Like that, or I see, you know, like I went to a record store and I bought one record and then they said, the clerk there said, if you like this, you like, you know, before the algorithms, we had actual humans that would recommend things to us. Or Ooh, high fidelity you know, style. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from that era, like even not even before the movie, but like the English version of, of the book, you know, which is like, <laughs> I think, 80s or early 90s. Uh, I mean, that movie was shot in Chicago in the late 90s, but... 
I was seeing that uh, one scene was actually shot in Rainbow Club. Oh yeah, yeah. I I have I know lots of extras in that movie, and yeah, there was a scene shot in a friend of mine's apartment. The fat the fantasy sequence where uh, John Cusack is imagining his girlfriend fucking the uh, Tim Robbins guy. It was shot oh. in my 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 friend's house uh, on Division Street, actually around the corner from the Rainbow Club. Yeah. So yep. I find that yeah, interesting, my, just the different ways that people discover music. Obviously, it's a generational vibe. I mean, because because of my, despite like you know being traumatized by playing uh, violin for eight years of my childhood, uh, like I've been obsessed with music my whole life, uh, and I've been on this like nonstop quest to to find new music. Like after we get off uh, this call, like I'll probably like look start like looking at Bandcamp or looking at uh, somewhere else, you know, like there, there, there's a few like music sites that I'll go to that recommend stuff. There's a really good one called Aquarium Drunkard. They recommend all kinds of out there music. Uh, there's Would a few you sites. Just, like, make playlists of your own and then be like, I'm going to listen to this while writing or you just like vibing to it randomly. No, I usually... I, I'm usually doing something else when I'm listening. Yeah, I'll make a playlist or I'll just play like, you know, on Bandcamp, somebody will post like their new record and you can just stream it for a while, you know, and then decide what if you want to buy it or not, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I like it a lot, I'll buy an LP, you know, like because I, I like records. But uh, Likewise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm looking, I'm looking for new sounds all the time, like practically every day. And I have like basically most of my life. Like so music it's been, can be anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's why music is the greatest art because it just exists in the air. You know what I mean? You don't even need a piece of paper. You can just bang, you can bang on a wall, you know, and make music. I you don't need say, an instrument. Even with the absence of an actual song, there is like almost a sense of music in the air. Yeah, it, oh, it's. I don't think there's any art form that approaches it. Like every other, every other art form is aspiring to the. That's a quote. I forget who. There's a better way that it's quoted, that all art forms aspire to to be music, basically. You know. I think that's because it's might be a it's just like this. I wanted to be a guitar player. Right. Did you say, didn't you tell me at some point you were in some punk band or you were trying to be in a punk band? I wasn't the one who did me uh, instruments. I was the really bad singer. Uh, you were the bad When was that? <laughs> that was, oh, okay, let's, I was either 18 or 19. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've And I don't I've remember, like, we actually would do it at, like, art galleries where we would do, like, kind of tiny shows. Oh, you had some performance. You had some. You did it in public. Yes, yes. Uh, before I got really shy, I have no idea when this moment happened. But like, I had no issue public speaking, performing, yeah. whatever. And I yeah. don't know. I guess maybe as I got older, I found some self awareness, and I was like, "Oh, I'm shy." Yeah. Yeah. But as it all happened. college performances or whatever, we fell apart eventually. What was the name of your band? Did you have a name? Classy Ladies. And we were really <laughs> into trying to do uh, Riot Girl kind of style music. 
classy ladies. Yeah. That's it sounds like WWF or something. What was the or, no? That was uh, Glow. That's the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. It sounds like, <laughs> like or like uh, Roller Girls or something. <laughs> Classy ladies. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Was it, Maybe you can find shit online. <laughs> it, was it all ladies? Uh, actually, we had one male drummer and. Oh uh, okay. <laughs> and if you want like fun random like Chicago shit like. He actually won, got really trashed on, um, oh, my God, what's that one drink I hate, uh, the Chicago drink? Uh, Malort, you mean? Malort, yeah. He got trashed on Malort, and he let us um, shave his head, and then he ended up just diving into Lake Michigan in the winter. It was like... Is he dead now? Oh, he's alive and is a doctor now. It's like, oh, wow, boy. you made a 180. Good for you. Right. He he really got scared straight. Like, you just got shy. Like, he, he went and became a useful member of society. <laughs> <laughs> and here know? I am just being like, I'm not going to say your name, but hey. Yeah, yeah. He did some fucked up stuff back in Well, yeah, because he, 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 he could buy some of your books or, like, you know, he if he ever needed a painting to decorate his office, like, hey, call me up, man. I've got a lot of art I can sell you. <laughs> oh, my God. I should actually show you some pictures, and then maybe you can make some fucked up art. We'll see. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Do that. Uh, let's have fun. Have fun with that. But an- another thing that I've really been sort of privileged and really happy about with music is that I've made, well, you ask about, like, where I find out about this music. I've, over the years, made friends with a lot of musicians, and mm-hmm. actually this week, I mean, this will post way after, but like on Thursday at the Empty Bottle, my friend, the uh, band, the Mute Duo, uh, are doing their record release. And I did all the artwork for their LP, like front, back, inner sleeve, like the whole deal. Uh, and actually this week, uh, uh, these next couple of days, I'm going to illustrate some uh some sleeves that we're going to sell just like one-offs, you know, like artist copies at the, at the show. See, I think that's the cool thing about being a painter right there is that you have that intersection where like, you know, you could do book covers, you could do album covers and like, you're just kind of intersecting with everybody. Yeah. I mean, I even, I I did an album cover for an author named Mallory Smart once a few years ago. I know. <laughs> that that that's how high up in up the food chain I've I've traveled. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I, I I would like to give you massive kudos to Claire's cover. Like, wow, that was good. Oh, you like Claire? Yeah, that was fun. Uh, she had yeah. a lot of input into that. Like, it changed a lot over the time I worked on it. But like, yeah. Yeah, we did her last cover. I actually worked on that one. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, she's really good when it comes to input. She rocks. It's. I, I mean, I find like so. This last cover for Mute Duo that I did, the the guys, uh, Skylar and Sam, they they had a lot of stuff that they wanted in the cover, and I I find like the for the commission work, like where I'm doing a job for somebody else, like the more input the better because I have I a lot of my own ideas. That. What's that? I probably sucked with that. No, no. I, I, I think you I think you had input, but like the the clearer like that the person's like what they want or their vision is, the better for me. Because left to my own devices, I'll just do my own shit and that's fine. But 
the purpose, you know, of an album cover, book cover, is to to attract somebody's eye to something and make them curious about it. It's not just to make them like 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 my painting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's a that's the I mean that's the difference between like illustration and art, art with a capital A art. You know, art is just itself. It's it's not trying to sell something or trying to point somewhere else. It's its own thing. Uh, so it's it's a different it's a different project, and I enjoy that. And it's 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 like a great break for for me from making my own work. Mm-hmm. Because I'm kind of like so when I'm working on an album cover, I just keep listening to their to their music over and over and over again, you know, for hours while I'm working, and that I think it seeps into the work that way. Well, say I think if that's what I was capable of doing, I think that's what I would do. Yeah, and it, it makes me like I get to participate in the music, though I don't play music. Uh, I've had a few aborted attempts since I quit violin at age 14. I've bought and sold back or given away three guitars now over the last, whatever, 30 years. Uh, Welcome to I the Selling s- Back Guitar Club. <laughs> I just sold another one back. Uh, <laughs> well, because it sits there and taunts me, you know? It sits there because it's not being played, and... The and music. You look at I your mean, amp or sign and be like, "Who wants this trashy thing?" Yeah, I sold a, I sold an amp and a guitar back because they're virtually unused. You know, mm-hmm. I had them for like a year and a half. I was uh, able to sell the guitar that was super glued. I even told them, "Oh, really? This is super glued together." And they're like, "That's oh, okay. Dang. I'll give you thirty dollars." And I was like, "Thanks. Oh, sure. Okay. I don't care." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because. I don't know, like music is so fucking important to me that I get overwhelmed and it's just, I I, I defeat myself before even starting, you know? Mm-hmm. It's too much, uh, the stakes feel too high. And really, like, if I'm being honest with myself, I have enough shit going on, I don't need to be st- taking on a whole other medium, you know? I, I should just say, be I happy like to be a... Put your time in with music. Yeah. I, I do. I should just be able to be a fan and not participate in that way. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like it's like I did my stint. I don't. I don't yeah. need to try that anymore. <laughs> like that. That was a fun little experiment. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it like. Yeah, as far as yeah, this paint by numbers book goes, it feels good to have it out in the world and be kind of done with it. Because it's there's a bunch of stuff in there that, like you know, I detail some like not so pleasant experiences and like putting out, dealing with it creatively and not just having it be like access to grind or bad feelings inside of me was gratifying. But I'm sort of happy to be done with it as well. I found it that like if I was the one who wrote it, it feels very cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. So before yeah. I slowly kick you off of my podcast. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a wonder you've kept me around this long. <laughs> I like the title so much. And it, it is so Paid funny because obviously yeah. you do discuss it as art as a capital A. And obviously paint by numbers is such a simplified version of art. Why'd you name it that? Uh, I wanted... Uh, 
it was a way to kind of like think about what art means in this country and what art means in this country and the idea that the kind of fame that people aspire to, even like doing something like painting, is I think when it comes down to it, the same kind of fame as rock stars and movie stars here, you know? Mm-hmm. See, even though they put on airs or like think they're pretentious or special, I think the kind of fame that they're after is the same kind of fame as, you know, Taylor Swift. I think they all want to yeah. be Taylor Swift or Britney Spears or whoever your favorite star is. They want to be and a it's commodity. Not, but it's not really possible. So like the, that kind of disconnected failure of it is what interested me. And one of my, you know, childhood things was like, like not Bob Ross, but there was another local guy in, in the Boston area that where you drew along with him. He's a TV artist. So I discussed that. But then I looked into this this whole paid by numbers phenomenon, which was for a time it was like one of the most you know popular hobbies in America, where you bought yeah, this kit. You can still buy them. Like yeah. I, I did research for that part for that chapter where I talk about the paid-by-numbers company, I mean, you know, they still make those kits, and there's competing even more than one company that does it. But, like, the guy that invented that was, you know, by some metrics, the most popular artist in America, you know? Mm-hmm. Because so many people had his art in their homes. And, you know, they had these great taglines, like, every man a Rembrandt, you know? Like, if you follow these steps, you you can become an artist. And that's so such an American, like, kind of huckster, kind of, like, approach to living and creativity. It's, mm-hmm. And it's so the opposite of, like, what I come from. And, and that disconnect is what I wanted to explore. You know, that's why it's called Paint My Numbers. Yeah. Yeah, because when I see the title, I immediately, knowing you, see, I wonder, like, if other people would be drawn in not knowing you, I immediately get the irony because I'm just like, you're probably going to be discussing artists that like are kind of doing it in more of a commodified way and aren't really putting the work in as much as like true, yeah. true capital A artists. Yeah, the, I think I'm also trying to say that even like the blue chip fancy artists that sell their art for like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars do it in a cynical and kind of like factory kind of like corporate way, mm-hmm. which makes them not much better than the paid by numbers people, you know? I mean, they're following a formula. Yes, exactly. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what the book is about. It's, it's, it's a hard one to ca- encapsulate. I, it takes me years to come up with the elevator pitch for any of my books, you know, like it takes me years of living with it to boil it down to a sentence, you know? <laughs> Did it take you a long time to write this book? Uh, it's been, you know, it's been sort of like poking at me and like germinating. Like it's been at the further recesses, you know, like for a long time. I mean, I think ever, at least ever since this whole inciting incident with the guy that ended up trying to sue me happened, you know, which was 10 years ago. So that that's, that's when it started, you know? <laughs> I just knew that it had to kind of uh, grow on its own organically, and I had to let go of the actual immediate bad feelings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just a way of settling scores, because that's not what I wanted to do. 
I didn't no. want to just like tee off on somebody just because I felt like I was mistreated. Cause that's not, it's not enough. It's not enough of a thing. I don't think a reader that has no investment in it would get anything out of it. If I was just teeing off on somebody because they shit on me, you know what I mean? Especially because a lot of these people are rather obscure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but like, even if they were, why would we yeah. care if you're like yeah, not right. them? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so for a long last, time. Last question. Yeah. Oh, go on. For a long time. Yeah, for for a long time, but uh, yeah, and it's not it's not like these concerns are ever going to go away because I'm still in it. Like this week, you know, I'm going to Chicago Art Expo at Navy Pier, and I've always said that it's my. It, Ooh, I go every year, and I, I hate it every year. It's my Yom Kippur, you know, like the day, the Jewish Day of Atonement. It's where I go <laughs> to see like the horror that I'm like the suff, like make myself suffer, like because it's this, it's this corporate like, convention. It's like the auto show, but for art. You know what I mean? And it's like mm -hmm. the exact opposite of, of what my values and like my concerns as an artist, but it's the most commercial and out like mainstream way that, uh, art, art is sold, you know? So I go there and like suffer <laughs> every, every damn year. So just because this book is, is done. That is the most and I, Russian <laughs> thing ever. <laughs> so what was, what was your last question? So you, oh, so you can kick me off your show. about the, the pig on the back page, on the back cover. Oh, that, that, you know, that pig is, so during, you know, during lockdown, one of the things I would do because, you know, I was stuck in my house, I couldn't go to like coffee shops and bars. And one of my favorite things is drawing people from life, like on the train or in the coffee shop or in a bar. And Please tell I me could, you kept seeing a pig. That pig is from a documentary. It's a great, great documentary called Gunda or Gunda, G-U-N-D-A. It's actually mm -hmm. directed by a Russian artist, but I think it takes place on a farm in Sweden, I want to say, somewhere in the Scandinavian countries. And it, it's it's a heartbreaking documentary about this pig, how the pig gives birth to its, its litter of piglets, and then it just tracks it, at, and then they take the piglets away. There's no words and there's no people in the documentary. And it's just stunning. And I did a bunch of drawings. So because I was starved for like subject matter for drawing, I would just freeze frame shit on my TV and draw it. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a picture of Gunda. Uh, but it's my little joke. for the back cover? Uh, well, because, well, I mean, like what it says, you know, like there's writing underneath. $15. $50 for... For this book you it's a, had. Yeah. It, it's my little joke about marketing and like a sales job, you know, like where you take things to market. One of the things mm -hmm. you do is hog futures. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke. It's a little joke, a little visual joke, but it got, you know, I mean, the things the things you make, like with, with art... Uh, things start out in one place and end up somewhere completely different and get recontextualized. And especially since I've gotten into this whole kind of like collage thing and reusing 
like old drawings and old texts and stuff and reconfiguring them. Like I like putting, you know, fragments from things I've done before and mashing them next to something else and see what happens. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's, that's where, the, so that's, that's the, that's where the pig came from, but like where the pig ended up is a different thing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that pig went a long way, but you should see that movie. It's amazing. It's in black and white. And it's just it like, I'm sure you can get it on one of the streamers. It came out, I think officially like maybe in 2021. I don't know. Sometime during lockdown. We'll <laughs> look it up. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's really about, it's a lot about, uh, you know, how, how we interact with animals and like all the animals in that movie are the animals that we use for food. You know, there's cows and there's chickens too. Mm-hmm. But and they're all domesticated animals, and there's not a human in that movie. But it's all just about humans and how we how we survive. So it was, if not, you know, obliquely or indirectly related to some of the subject matter of, of the book, which is also about commerce in a weird way. You know, I was gonna say I can see that definitely. So yeah, that's that's a weird, uh, like winding and maybe unsatisfactory answer to your question. <laughs> oh no, it was a good one. I, it was kind of like where I was like, okay, the the documentary thing threw me, but then eventually we came to like, okay, yeah, okay, I, I guessed correctly. I mean, like you know, the, you got you know, you get for whatever you write about the you taking things all day from you know from the internet, from movies, from the street, you know, whatever, and you never know how. You'll put it through the like the gear and the machinery of your mind or your heart, and you don't know how it'll get spit back out in your writing or in the things you make, right? Mm-hmm. And that pig just stayed with me, you know, like, and I found a place for her, you know, <laughs> on the back Please of my tell book. Tell me of a giant painting of the pig. No, uh, no, no. Unfortunately, not. I, I do have that. I mean, those are actual collages that cover. I do have those, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, yeah, if pe- people really like it, they can go on the web store, connect it to my website and buy it, you know. I have that for sale. I sell everything. But, like, yeah, the the, the, the collages for the front and back covers are for sale on my website. Would it be under art or shop? Uh, store.dimitrisamarov.com. That's where you can get my books and some art and all kinds of stuff. Got you. Very cool. Yeah. And Dimitri hates social media, so you will not find him there. You won't, but you can, you know, if you just can't get you enough, you, you can, but you can subscribe to my newsletter and get a newsletter every single Monday. It, I've, I've, I've uh, sent people a newsletter for a decade now, <laughs> every day, <laughs> every Monday. <laughs> so. If, if people want more, there is a way to get more, <laughs> but not on Instagram or TikTok <laughs> or well, Musk Talk or whatever. <laughs> and, you know, obviously, if you ever want to hear us talk about horror movies or, you know, I mean, not talk about horror movies. <laughs> yeah. To pretend, pr- pretend talking about movies, but talk about everything else. But yeah. Yeah. Listen to that horror cast. Well, Thanks for thanks for doing this, Mallory. I appreciate it. I know you didn't have to, and I'm sure you're, oh, you're no, sick of talking fun. to me all the time. But 
No, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. So yeah. Right back at you, and this is it was a different it was different than the horror movie one, right? I think Definitely, it was because I feel like this was like us actually being able to discuss like our processes and everything versus us randomly ranting about. <laughs> well, so glad we're done with that. We can go back to randomly ranting again. It, it, exactly. In a couple of short days, we'll be ranting once more. <laughs> All right, that was Dmitry Samarov. Check out his book, Paint by Numbers, and head over to his website, DmitrySamarov.com, where you can check out his writing, artwork, and weekly newsletter, all of which are very entertaining. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the proper spellings and links so you can get there. As always, please check out our Twitter, at PodHealing, and take a look at our website, TextualPodcast.com. Show us support by going on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review or subscribe to us on Spotify. We'll be back next Saturday with an off-the-record episode with Dennis Sweeney. This is Mallory Smart. Thanks for listening to the show.